So our scripture lesson today comes from Luke chapter 15. We are, of course, making our way through the Revised Common Lectionary, and the text from uh, the New Testament today is from Luke chapter 15. So hear the word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus and to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or of that woman having 10 silver coins as, as, as she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and searches carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Several years ago, I remember reading about a young family, the Knapp family, who were returning home from vacation. They were flying. They were fly, flying in a small plane piloted by Mr. Knapp, who was then a pilot for the then Continental Airlines. 30 miles away from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Mr. Knapp radioed the Lehigh Valley International Airport to tell them that he was low on fuel and needed to land right away. He was told to land at an airport in Pocono, Pennsylvania, which was just a few miles away, but they didn't have that much fuel, so the plane crashed in a densely wooded area in the Pocono Mountains. The wings were sheared, the engine mangled, the windshield shattered, the family, however, was alive and relatively unscathed, all of them, Mr. and Mrs. Knapp, their two children, Annie and Isa. Once realizing the family was not seriously injured, Mr. Knapp activated on the plane an emergency beacon, an emergency beacon that all pilots are aware of that sends a signal into the heavens to a satellite unseen, which relays the beacon to the nearest rescue station, alerting them that somebody, somebody is in trouble. Harry Robidoux, the emergency services director from Monroe County, took the call and quickly amassed a rescue crew of 300 people. 300 people, mostly strangers to each other, 300 people who span the political and cultural and sociological spectrums, 300 people whose sole mission and purpose was to find this lost family, scour the area for somebody who was in need of rescue. It was a bitterly cold night and 40 of the 300 rescuers were treated for exposure, one for hypothermia. But these strangers, these fellow human beings kept looking, they kept looking because the beacon from the heavens told them that someone was in trouble. 16 hours later, that tired and cold crew of rescuers found, found them. They found the Knapp family and got them to a hospital where they were treated and sent to the warmth and comfort of their home. 
absent in the news accounts, absent in the press conferences, was there any blame? Absent in the accounts of the rescuers, there was no question as to whether or not this family deserved to be found. A lost family sends up a beacon, the beacon returns, and without question, 300 people go looking. There's something about getting lost, and there's something about going looking that has nothing to do with deserving. Many of you know that my next oldest brother, Jimmy, four years older than me, is severely mentally handicapped, never has spoken a word in his life. At the age of eight, he was placed in a school for profoundly impaired children. Not long after Jimmy took residence in the school, one night the staff were making their evening bed checks and found Jimmy's bed empty. They searched the room, he wasn't there. They searched the wing, he wasn't there. They searched the building, he wasn't there. They called the police, they called the fire department, they searched the grounds, he wasn't there. They broadened the search to beyond the grounds. Perimeter searches were commenced. Finally, a fireman, walking gently through the woods, heard the sound of quiet crying, he raised his flashlight, and found huddled next to a tree a little boy, a scared, shivering little boy who was lost. No words to say, no beacon to send. And so they wrapped him in a blanket and took him home. And everyone rejoiced. The lost boy was found. Luke's 15th chapter, which includes three stories about the search for lost things and people, begins with an introduction that tells us why Jesus felt compelled to tell the stories to begin with. Luke tells us that Jesus got caught. Luke tells us that Jesus got caught hanging with the wrong people. Luke tells us that Jesus was detected spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were those who had conspired with Rome to shake down their fellow Jews for as much tax money as possible, not high on anybody's popularity list. Sinners could have been anybody who didn't obey the law or didn't practice ritual purity or moral purity for that matter. And in the eyes of the religious folks, they were the undeserving. You make the wrong choice, you do the wrong thing, you get what you deserve. But then Jesus turns the whole thing around and tells these stories about lostness. Jesus doesn't appear to be interested in whether these folks have done the right thing or the wrong thing. He seems most interested in whether or not there is some lostness to them. Because the truth is there is some lostness in all of us, right? I mean, there's some part of me, there's some part in you that, that's still seeking to be found. There's a little bit in all of us that just really isn't sure where we are. The Apostle Paul, one of the heroes of the New Testament, said, I, I do the very thing I don't want to do, and I don't do the very thing I want to do. Woe is me. I manage to get off track all the time. I, I manage to get myself lost. I think we know what he's talking about. I've seen really, really, really successful people hopelessly, hopelessly lost. I've seen really, really smart people who don't know where they're going. 
I've seen really, really attractive people who are unsure of themselves. I hear a lot of people each week who are sending up beacons, hoping that somebody will come looking. And we all have this tendency, this temptation, to view people still through the deserving lens. Yeah, well, he got what he deserved. Yeah, she got what was coming to her. Yeah, he made some really stupid choices. Yeah, she's lying on the bed she made. And we either forget or we don't want to think about our own boneheadedness. That's a biblical term, boneheadedness. All those boneheaded things we've done, the stupid choices, the selfish choices, the trail of tears we've left behind, the moments when we have awakened and wonder, where the heck am I? How did I end up here? So Jesus tells us about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then later the lost son. And there are all sorts of reasons why they get lost. The sheep nibbles himself to lostness. The coin gets misplaced into lostness. The boy selfishly and arrogantly and foolishly gets himself really, really lost. But the shepherd and the householder and the father see them as only those to be found. It's all about the finding. They're lost. They need to be found. They're lost and don't need to be judged now. Judging keeps you from looking. Jesus was looking. Jesus is always looking. Because with the looking comes the joy, right? With the looking comes the joy. The, the shepherd rejoices when he finds that lost nibbling sheep. The woman rejoices when she finds her misplaced coin. The father kills the fatted calf when he finds that lost boy because deep in the core of our human souls, it just comes down to lostness and foundness. Exclusion or embrace, off the track, on the track. So this granddad comes in to see me, and he is beside himself. And he's beside himself because his cherished grandson is off the tracks. Bad choices, brushes with the law, substance abuse, running with the wrong crowd. And this grandfather, he will do anything. He will do anything. He will do anything to find that boy. That's lost sheep of his. Oh, he will move heaven and earth if he has to. He will spare no expense. He will climb the highest mountain and swim the widest sea because he cannot let that boy be lost any longer than he needs to be. And when he finds him, when that amassed search team that he's put together hones finally in on that beacon, when that boy finally finds his footing, oh, that granddad just can't stop smiling. It just may have been the greatest thing he's ever been a part of. That, that search team looking for that boy. And he knows now. He knows what heaven is like. 
Now he knows what Jesus was talking about, that there is, oh, there's more joy in heaven over that one sheep. There's more joy in heaven over that lost coin. There is more joy in heaven about that one grandson than there is in all the other ones who sit and judge and don't bother to look. George Carlin that somewhat earthy and oftentimes hilarious comedian of a generation ago, grew up in a rough home. Not much money, alcoholic father who left the family and died when George was eight. What followed were discipline problems, dropping out of high school, demoted in the Air Force, drug abuse, dying a thousand deaths in front of a thousand audiences. The one place where he felt safe, where he felt accepted, where he felt found, strangely, was a little Catholic boys camp his mother would send him to every summer. A place where he found his footing and learned early to be an actor and a comedian. So it may explain the one routine in which Carlin talked about losing things and he wondered if maybe there was somewhere in the cosmos a place called the place of lost things. And that whenever we lose something, you know, like our keys or our wallet or widowed socks, that the truth is they're really not lost. It's just that they have gone to the place of lost things and that they stay there until they're ready to be found. It's not that you've really found them, it's just that they've come back from the place of lost things. And then Carlin would go on to say that maybe heaven was the place where you went to find all those things you've lost. Heaven is where you go and find all the things you've lost. Which explains the instruction George Carlin left upon his death that they sprinkle his ashes along the lake at that little Catholic camp where every summer he went to be found. Do you remember Robert Frost's poem, The Death of a Hired Man? In it, he tells the story of a farm couple whose field hand has left them, and it's not the first time he's left them. He's left them a bunch of times, and every time he leaves them, he leaves them in a lurch. But every time, eventually, he comes back, and they take him in. But this time, he's left them one too many times, and the old farmer won't have him back. His wife begs his mercy, but the father is unmoved. So finally, she resorts to suggesting that the old hand maybe has come home to die. Home, the father mocks. Ah, home's the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And then his wife retorts, I should have called home something you haven't to deserve. For such is heaven, is it not? Home, that place you haven't to, to deserve, where all the joy comes in the looking and in the finding.